You're listening to PorchDrinking.com's The Porchcast, brought to you by ONTAP Credit Union. And now, The Porchcast. All right, everyone, and welcome. We are officially live and ready to go here in episode 97 of the Porchcast. We are quickly approaching Big 100, and we are thrilled to be joined by Dave Bergen here at Joyride Brewing, uh, as well as Michael Shepard of ONTAP Credit Union, back-to-back. Hi, thanks for having me on again. I've got to be careful when I wave, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we are broadcasting live on Facebook Live for for those who are tuning in live, feel free to type in any comments you might have or questions in the comment section below. We'll try to get to those as we uh, as we continue to broadcast. And as always, I'm joined by Corey David, my trusty co-host. David, how's it going? Great. We're man of a lot of words. We're in, we're in a fun setup today. Uh, a little bit uh, makeshift, but here in the back of house for Joyride Brewing. And the reason we're here is because uh, you all have a very special Fresh Hop Festival taking place this Saturday. Dave, uh, tell us a little bit about the Fresh Hop Fest and what people can can uh, expect out of this uh, very seasonal holiday event. Yeah, thanks, Tristan, and thanks, guys, for having me on and, uh, and being here today. Uh, so we are going to be hosting our second annual Fresh Hop Festival this Saturday, as you mentioned. Uh, it's going to be more of a you know tap takeover than you know your traditional festival of how you think of it. Not selling any tickets, not doing any tokens, uh, just uh, tapping a bunch of some of our favorite Fresh Hop beers from some of our friends, tapping them all when we open at, uh, at 11 a.m., uh, and, you know, one of the things that really is going to make this one unique is uh, we give the customers the opportunity to get flights uh, of these beers as well, uh, which when I've been to some of the Fresh Hop festivals uh, in the area before, normally you're getting a full pint, half pint. Uh, but last year when we did it, we saw that there was a lot of appetite for flights. We almost ran out of taster glasses. We we're trying to run around and be hawks about it and, you know, snatch up as many as we could. Honestly, it's kind of ridiculous to me that at an event like that where you have so many different beers to try, the only option would be to get pints, to be completely right. honest. <laughs> I think that's a little unfair. You're like, I'd like to try a little bit of everything, but you have to commit to 16 ounces. Seems a little, yeah, it doesn't seem like the right way to go. Yeah, especially when most of the beers are going to be IPAs, so they're going to be, you know, 6% on the low end, you know, obviously trending higher. Uh, so we're going to have, uh, you know, was, I think 13 different other uh, beers tapped uh, from uh, guest breweries, plus uh, two of our own for a total of 15 different uh, fresh hot beers being poured. Totally. So I've got down that you all have barrels and bottles, broken compass, call to arms, comrade, fiction, jagged mountain, joyride, you guys, launch pad, <laughs> new terrain. Oh, shit, I knew <laughs> Odell, Station 26, Strangecraft, and Vale. That's a pretty solid lineup. That is a very solid lineup. Um, and so we're, we're super excited to have all these guys on tap. Uh, many, uh, many of these brewers uh, were holdovers from last year. Um, and so, you know, it was an easy conversation to have. Uh, say, hey, you know, would you guys want to do this again? And, you know, they were thrilled to participate. Um, and a couple, of, a couple of new people in there to, you know, freshen it up. So uh, I think we only tapped uh, 12 beers last year. So we're we're up we're up one this yeah. year. So we're a little bit bigger, a little bit better. Was there any collaboration on your guys' part with any of the breweries on the like farm you used or like the particular hop varietal or anything like that? No, I mean uh, you know trying to coordinate all the details with your farmer for your own fresh hop beer is you know difficult enough. Uh, a lot of logistical challenges in there. Uh, so we kind of just you know did uh, did our own thing for our two fresh hop beers and then. Uh, just kind of sent out feelers maybe, you know, a month, two months ago, just, you know, seeing if people were going to be brewing uh, Fresh Hop beers again and if they, you know, if we could possibly, you know, get a six dollar or a half barrel off of them because, you know, these are premium beers that normally go really fast. 
um, that you know a lot of brewers want to keep in house as much as they can. Uh, so I knew how much of a you know favor I was kind of asking them, um, but um everyone's been you know really cool and plus it goes to a good cause we're donating 10 percent of uh the fresh hop proceeds on saturday to the colorado brewers guild uh so uh, everyone's always looking to help the guild out for everything that they've been able to do for our industry now i want to take it back a little bit because you know we have viewers and listeners of all kinds of backgrounds fresh hop beers that that essentially fresh hop west west sorry fresh hop and wet hop category essentially denotes that you all are harvesting the, the hops and then putting it into the boil within 24 hours of the harvest. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, ours, I think, were picked that morning and then put into the uh, boil that afternoon. And which uh, farm did you all partner with to, to do this? Uh, both of our beers were with Billy Goat Hop Farm out of Montrose, Colorado. Very cool. And so what, what hop rail did you all f- feature in, in this year's beer? Uh, so the one that I'm drinking right now is the Fresh Buds, uh, and this is a combination of Colorado, Cascade, Chinook, and Comet. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, thank you. Um, and then uh, I do have one that will be available next week, which is a Wet Hop Pilsner that was with Colorado Crystal. Oh, very cool. Um, and so um, we'll be releasing that one uh, on the actual festival day. Um, but uh, if you want a sneak peek of what's co- uh, of what's being poured, come on down 2501 Sheridan Boulevard, Edgewater, Colorado, and you can have the Fresh Buds here at Joy Red Brewing. It's the big rooftop patio. It's kind of hard to miss. <laughs> right in the corner, so it's like it's a good spot. Now, do you guys do um, Oktoberfest and pumpkin beers as well? We typically do uh, a pumpkin beer. Uh, we didn't this year just because with GABF uh, and a lot of other obligations and commitments we had, we just ran out of tank space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we do have uh, a Mertzen on tap as well as a Hellas and a Hef uh, that we kind of intentionally brewed uh, to have like a mini Oktoberfest. Uh, but because we were having, you know, committed to doing this Fresh Hop Fest, we didn't have like an official Oktoberfest party. Sure. You know, kind of, you know, felt, you know, too much back to back, you know, then each event doesn't get the proper you know, marketing and attention that it really deserves. Yeah, I was kind of curious. Is there Was there an intentional reason behind doing a wet hop or fresh hop fest as opposed to an Oktoberfest or dare be it a pumpkin festival of some <laughs> sort? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, you know, I, I really love Falling Rock, you know, sad, you know, that, you know, they're no longer around and always love their Falling Rock festival or their <laughs> fresh hop festival that they used to do uh, around GABF every single year. I thought it was really cool to be able to try everyone's wet hops in, you know, one place instead of having to drive around. Uh, a lot of the brewers would show up and get to network a little bit, have some fun. Uh, and so last year I was kind of waiting to see if anyone was going to step up and, you know, kind of replace it, so to speak. Uh, and I didn't really hear of anybody doing that. And so I was just like, you know what? If only for selfish reasons, I'm going <laughs> to host. <laughs> That's the best reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to host a Fresh Hop Festival so I can drink all these beers for free yeah. uh, at my own place after I buy all the kegs. And uh, But no, in, in all seriousness, I was just like, you know, it was just such a unique event. And these are such unique beers, you know, that you can only make one time a year. Uh, and so I just really thought that getting them all together um, you know, being able to showcase, uh, especially since a lot of them are made with all Colorado ingredients, be able to showcase Colorado terroir, uh, and then having a place for brewers to get together again. And then also, uh, that fresh hop fest normally did benefit the, the brewers guild. And so wanted to keep that tradition alive as well. Cool. So when, if somebody hasn't had a fresh hop beer before, what can they typically expect out of it flavor-wise, body, body profile, all that kind of stuff? And then what did you guys shoot for to make yours unique? Sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the analogies that I like to use is with, uh, like, herbs and spices. <clears throat> like, imagine if, uh, like, basil was only able to be harvested for one week out of the year. You know, it would... You know, all the pizza places would be going crazy, you know, during that week. And it's not necessarily that fresh fresh basil is always better or dried is always better, but it's different. It's unique. Right. And each has its own place. Um, But, you know, with uh, so it's kind of how I like to describe fresh hot beers is that they're not necessarily better than their dried counterparts, but they are just so unique and you have such a short window to experience them. Uh, that, you know, one week out of the year, you know, this is how you can taste, you know, what these ingredients are in their raw format, really get a better understanding of what these ingredients can do. 
So I like to describe it to someone who's maybe not had one before, that they are going to come across maybe a little more grassy, maybe a little more herbal, a little more woodsy, depending on the uh, variety that's being you know used. Uh, but you also get to kind of get a little bit more of those nuanced flavors uh, that you may not be able to always get uh, in their dried counterparts. And so I think it's a really interesting opportunity to be able to, you know, see beer, you know, kind of as, as it's more, you know, agricultural, you know, as, you know, as a singular product there. Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, when I've gotten to try fresh hop beers, it tends to be a little brighter, sometimes a little grassier, a little bit kind of more. Uh, herbal, uh, as you were describing, but I feel like uh, it's just a, a brighter representation of the hop. And you know, so often, you know, in the beer industry, unfortunately, when you're when you're drinking a lot of beers from you know from the can that's been sitting out on shelves for a while, you're not getting the true representation of what hoppy beers are meant to taste like. And this is you know one of the best opportunities to truly experience you know hoppy beers in its you know prime and in the best opportunity to taste them. Um, but also, so if, if you're saying there's ever a basil shortage, can we expect a, a basil beer fest? <laughs> yeah, that, we should definitely that do that's coming down a the pipe? basil beer fest. See, I, per- I actually prefer that all my IPAs are at least eight months old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that deterioration of the plant more than the, n- the new uh, well, I, freshness of I, it. I, I got some low fills in the back. I can yeah, you're like, oh, good, we just found a garbage disposal. <laughs> Well, I'm really enjoying this Fresh Buds uh, wet hop uh, that you all just released. And uh, yeah, I think you. you all have continue, continued to really evolve the beer program as a whole. I want to I jump back uh, for a second and, and talk about the, the kind of early stages of, of Joyride and kind of your all's history. And I know that um, you all have had a tremendous amount of success, um, especially in the, in the past year with the World Beer Cup win for your ice cutter Kolsch. So I definitely want to touch on that. But... Take us back uh, to, to when you all were starting Joyride. What was the impetus behind this and kind of uh, what what allowed you all to launch here in, in Edgewater? Sure, yeah. Um, I started off as a, as a home brewer. Uh, I bought my dad a Mr. Beer uh, homebrew kit, uh, and he used it twice, told me he didn't like it, uh, and he could buy a better beer, and asked me if I wanted it back. What beer was that? The, the, I'm not sure what kit he, he no, used. No, no, no. I'm wondering what beer that did he say that was better that he could buy. Was it Bush Light? <laughs> was it Miller High Life? Because usually that's the case. It's just like, this is, I don't want to brew a stout. Yeah, no. I mean, I've, he, got, he, I've he, got Bud Heavies in the fridge. Why would I, <laughs> why would I bother with that? I mean, my, my dad was one of the reasons that uh, I got into craft beer, you know, gro- you know, growing up. You know, he was always. You know, drinking, you know, a little bit more elevated, you know, stuff, you know, maybe not getting into, you know, super unique things back when I was, you know, younger. But, you know, drinking Sam Adams and, you know, things like that, that, you know, were a little bit more interesting than what you would typically find in the average fridge. And he is a he is a huge Hacker Shore Vice fan. Um, like that's probably still his favorite beer, you know, to this day. So I wouldn't be surprised if his first beer was a vice beer. Yeah, actually, um, something that, this is like, actually a good question. I should I should ask him sometime. So he, he was way ahead of his time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the typical answer that I would have expected, especially <laughs> coming from upstate New York. It was a lot of Utica Club. It was a lot of Genesee. It was things like that. Right. Yeah. And so uh, this is a good question. I'm gonna have to ask him the next time I see him. Uh, what was the home? Hopefully he remembers. But he tried it a couple of times. He didn't like it. He asked me if I wanted it back. So I started using that for a couple of years. And you know, Mr. Beer Kid is kind of like the easy bake oven of of homebrew. It gets it gets you your foot in the door. Uh, so I got together with uh, my two uh, business at the time my two business partners, and we started homebrewing together uh, in backyards, driveways, and eventually moved into my business partner Grant's uh, basement. Uh, you know, winter was coming. And we wanted to keep brewing. We were brewing every single week. And we ended up brewing every single week for about five years, uh, 10 gallons a week, um, and just kept refining our recipes. I was uh, working a job where I was driving, um, you know, 1,000 miles a month um, at the time or 2,000 miles a month, something like that. Uh, And so I was just listening to beer podcasts, and we would take what I would learn, uh, tweak our recipes, 
um, do a lot of experiments, see what was happening. And a lot of the recipes that we use today are still uh, either scaled up versions or tweaks of some of those original homebrew days. Um, and so we eventually thought that we were making uh, beer that was better than what we could buy on the shelf as a reverse of, you know, my dad. Uh, and we're like, hey, you know, how about we write a business plan and, you know, see what happens. Maybe we can make a career out of this. And uh, we found a, a couple of suckers that uh, lent us some money. Um, and Does one happen to be in this room? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Wait, what? What? Uh, <laughs> Where? Uh, <laughs> and uh, no, our, our investors are awesome. And uh, we were lucky to uh, get this location here at 25th and Sheridan that we were working with a broker. And they uh, told us that they had a lead on, on this place. And we're like, you mean the, the spot right across from the lake? They say, yeah, and we're like, start writing up the paperwork, yeah. um, and we didn't, uh, we didn't even visit it before they they started, you know, writing up the LOI, um, and this was an old abandoned pawn shop, uh, was had been vacant for about two years, uh, so it was not set up for manufacturing or retail or anything like that. You still get an old person that comes in here to try to <laughs> sell a guitar every <laughs> once in a while. They come in with <laughs> their like, pawn ticket. They, they give they, you beer credit. They they, they look. <laughs> I brought my Pokemon cards. Uh, I was thinking uh, we could make a little deal afterwards. <laughs> so, you know, we had to do uh, extensive renovations to, to the place. Uh, but, you know, we got it open, and we opened in uh, July of 2014. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the next major, you know, stage was when we opened up the rooftop, uh, which was March of 2019, uh, which... You know, we had been trying to open up the rooftop since the, the day that we opened and ran into a lot of, uh, you know, delays and permitting issues, uh, but we, we finally got it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's unique that you just pop the top on, on the roof, and uh, what better timing right before the pandemic so that you could get some open air uh consumption and uh while, while, while everything else was shut down right yeah we felt very very fortunate <laughs> on that timing because uh, we got about you know we normally seat about 150 people up there with no restrictions um so to be able to have that space that we normally wouldn't have had before uh during you know all the you know all the restrictions i, I want to say i forget i forget i did i did this number at some point i think 70 percent of 2020 uh, we are either at 25% capacity or lower. Um, you know, I think people remember kind of like, oh, yeah, the fun of like going in the, you know, little yurt, you know, out front and bundling up and, you know, buying the brewery blanket and everything like that. But, you know, that 50% capacity was actually, you know, very short lived. Uh, and it was 25% capacity or zero for the, you know, majority of the year. So, you know, even having the rooftop at 25% capacity was better than nothing. Yeah. Touching on your history a little bit, so tell me uh, what was the origin with the name, and then I've heard interesting stories about the logo for yes. you guys, about why it's the elephant. Can you elaborate on that? Sure, yeah. Uh, so we we originally, when we were homebrewers, we called ourselves uh, Crooked Keg, uh, and we decided to change the name so there wouldn't be any brand confusion with another well-known Crooked Denver brewery. And, uh, and they make awesome beer. Uh, and so we uh, decided to change it to Joyride. Uh, and uh, kind of the basis for that is concentrating on the journey and not the des destination. And I think that when we're sitting around drinking beer, having fun, it's what we're doing anyway, um, instead of taking things too seriously. Um, one of our business partners, right before we settled on that name, had just gotten his car stolen. And uh, the cops told them that they took it for a joyride. Yeah, so and, it has multiple meetings at this point. <laughs> and, uh, well, he, w he was dead set against it. He's like, no, people are just going to think it's about like cars being stolen and stuff. Or we're like, no, it's like, you nah, know. No, this sounds like a you problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I've never put that together. And so, <laughs> and so the elephant has some significance, yes? Yeah, uh, and so we came up with the name, and for whatever reason, when we finalized the name, I had this idea of an elephant riding on a tricycle uh, as kind of just like a fun and irreverent type of a thing um, that would just represent what we were doing. Uh, and then the building that, you know, that we moved into um, had a mural on the side of it, uh, and one of the images on the mural was of an elephant, and I learned that there used to be 
you know, we did, you know, investigated the area's history. And there used to be an amusement park across the street called Manhattan Beach. It was the first amusement park west of the Mississippi or the largest amusement park west of the Mississippi. I get conflicting information of which one that is. That's how folklore goes. Yes. Uh, but for their opening day, they bought a camel and an elephant from the New York City Zoo. And the elephant's name was Roger. Uh, and so they put a wicker basket on his back, and he gave rides to children uh, in it, which is, sounds very, very safe. Sure. Um, and but uh, but Roger was OSHA back in the twenties, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pre-OSHA days. And uh, and so Roger was depicted on the side of the mural, and uh, we uh, and I was like, oh, there's like a lo- there's local history that we can tie into as well. Uh, so this makes it even better. It's not just you know a crazy image in my in my head. Uh, so That's what they call an epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've got uh, I've got I've got Roger a couple of times on on my shirt here, uh, and he's riding the tricycle. He's having a great time. So yeah. So we call him Roger. We we actually have a Roger suit. Um, that uh, some you all of busted it out at JBF, right? We we have before. I remember that. Uh, the the BA all of a sudden <laughs> this this giant elephant just appears out of the <laughs> periphery. The 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 BA has told us they no longer want us wearing masks. At uh, GABF, so we haven't brought it to GABF for a couple of years. Just not that kind of masks, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is wearing these little ones on their face, but as soon as we wear an elephant head, it's, pr- it's yeah. a problem. <laughs> That's the line right there. Yeah, I was going to say, a pick line. a side already. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mask <I'm> discrimination. <laughs> So yeah, they they don't want elephant heads. <laughs> so we so we stop bringing it. But normally I'm the one who gets suckered into wearing the elephant costume. And if it is warmer than 40 degrees, it is is not pleasant uh, at all. But uh, I'll I'll don it every once in a while for a short while at our anniversary party and walk around. Uh, normally, if you see it in our social media, 90% of the time that's me. Um, and, uh, you can, you can tell that as soon as that picture is taken, I'm ripping that head off and just be like, give me some water. Uh, but we, we have fun with it. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, who doesn't love elephants? So sure. it's a, it's an easy thing that, you know, I really like our classic logo, but we're able to make a couple of riffs and variations off of it. Um, and, you know, it does well for us. Well, I'm going to make the most seamless transition here. Uh, yes. You talked about your business partner's car getting stolen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if if uh, <laughs> if you're in a situation where you need to buy a new car and yes. you might need some financing. Yes. Look, who that, do we turn to? Look at that transition. Look at that. Wasn't that beautiful? They, they don't call you the king of transitions <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> I no, love it. My, Michael's been a good friend of ours uh, our, uh, and everyone at ONTAP Credit Union. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think – people don't often think about is is financing for you know their personal necessities and and one of the reasons we wanted to have you here is to talk about you know auto uh, bicycle financing uh, or sorry, auto and motorcycle financing i know that you are uh you're not going to be able to join us during gabf week because you're going to be down at tell I'll us be, a little bit about i'll the be event. down at bikers blues and barbecue down in arkansas doing a little riding on the harley yeah, and uh, you're you're an avid uh, cycle motorcyclist, right? I am. Yeah. I am. I love riding my Harley. Get a, get quite a bit of riding in. In fact, you know, Tracy, our CEO, and her husband um, also ride with us. So it's it's a whole lot of fun, and I'm able to go visit the breweries and do my job on the Harley. So I intended to ride the Harley today, but I thought maybe I better not. A little warmer day, having to get on camera a little bit. So uh, I love watching you zip around town in your Lycra on your motorcycle, uh, like just like a cyclist, just like somebody on a road bike, just skin tight suit. Oh, it is. It is. Ironically, I wear the Roger outfit sometimes when I ride. Which it's good for visibility. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we appreciate the yeah. free advertising. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, little uh, little loan for the for the tricycle that he rides, right? Yeah. We can or, or the unicycle. So tell us a little bit. You know, it's we're still having issues in terms of finding availability for like auto. Um, you know, I I recently uh, I bought I bought a car luckily about a year and a half ago, and was able to to uh, find one you know fairly easily before there was a huge shortage. But now. You know, I feel like you have to be even more prepared when you're about to to invest in buying a new car. What what kind of steps would you recommend, and uh, how can ONTAP be a service uh, to, for people who are looking? 
looking in the market? Yeah, you definitely want to be prepared when you're out shopping or ready to go. The first thing you want to do is get pre-approved. So coming into ONTAP or going to ONTAPCU.org and getting approved is what's really important. So when you find that vehicle, you can go to the dealership and make the purchase. And, you know, you know that's going to get you ahead of the game. And I, I help on the commercial side, and I run into my business owners that find a vehicle they want. And before we can get there, the vehicle's sold. Same on the consumer side. So that's my biggest suggestion is get pre-approved. Then when you go out shopping, you're ready to go. Or if you find that private party sale, you, know, you found that vehicle through Facebook Marketplace or if you're on Craigslist, however you find that vehicle, again, you're just ready to go. And that's going to make the deal better for you. Cool. Well, seamlessly moving on to a Well, I'm going to let you know one quick thing, yeah, though. Yeah. But so we're talking about get pre-approved. I will tell you a little secret we're going to let you in on that doesn't happen until October 4th. We have a 3-2-1 deal. So... Um, if you're looking for that vehicle or you want to refinance your vehicle, we can get you three months, no payments. We can drop your interest rate for almost 2%. Then here comes the one. You'll be put in a drawing to win one of $100 gas gift cards that we're going to give away. So, um, so that's important. And we're kind of thinking of the holidays that we're getting ready to go because if we can save you some money on your car payment or save you money when you buy that new vehicle or new to you vehicle is the holidays are coming. You won't have a payment for three months. Well, I thought you were going to be raffling off your motorcycle, so I was really <laughs> excited about what? it. What? What did Janelle tell you? I need to read that contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, that's what was in the show notes, um, so I'm a little disappointed. So you heard it here first. You he will be raffling off his motorcycle to the second winner, not even the first one. The first one gets a gas card. Including the bike suit. <laughs> yeah. And we could be raffling off an extra ride. We're just giving the house away, really, of this show. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my first impre- my first thought was, if somebody is going to drink and drive, what's your favorite beer to drink and drive with? Uh, and mine's a Kolsch, really. Uh, that's what I would prefer. If I'm going to get behind the wheel, I would rather have a Kolsch in my hand than any other style of beer. Does anybody else want to contribute to that? I would say I'm going to get into the Uber vehicle. I, I do not want to contribute any part of that. Uh, porch drinking does not condone <laughs> drinking and driving. Nor does Joy Red Brewing Company. <laughs> This is a purely hypothetical question. It segues perfectly because we're great at we're nailing segues. If, 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 if you were to come to Joy Red Brewing Company, I would suggest that you start with uh, Ice Cutter Kolsch. Oh, thank goodness. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's been uh, a beer that we've actually had on tap uh, since our very first day. Uh, and we've had on tap for about 98% of the time ever since, uh, with today actually falling into one of that 2%. Um, and and one of the things that um, you know you all found so much success around this Kolsch. You not only did you win at GABF uh, and was it 2019? 2019, yeah, silver. Won a silver medal in the in the German uh, style Kolsch category, and then you followed it up last year with a World Beer Cup gold medal. Tell me a little bit about you know the evolution of this beer and and what it's meant to 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 win these accolades. Yeah, uh, this was uh, a beer that I homebrewed for the first time a little over 10 years ago. Um, I actually went back into all my homebrew notes to find the exact date of how long have I actually been making this beer. Uh, And the recipe has uh, changed uh, not very much uh, uh, since those days. Uh, You know, it's... You know, when you look at the ingredients of what a coal should be, it is a fairly simple beer. And the main thing about making it is the execution of the brew process. Um, that, you know, it is, you know, so you know, a lot of the flavors are so subtle um, and, you know, need to be very balanced that, you know, a little bit of, of difference in how um, you're going to cellar that beer or, you know, timing of when you're adding those ingredients is going to make a big difference. Uh, and we have, you know, done, you know, tweaks over the years, um, you know, raised up the bitterness a, a little bit more, um, you know, experimented with how we're going to crash it. We originally uh, didn't filter the beer and the I'm, I'm allowed to swear, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, and that, that, ye- that yeast is a son of a bitch uh, and it does not like to, to flocculate at all. Um, and well, you can't say flocculate. That's okay. Sorry. Appropriate. I think that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that uh, the yeast doesn't like to flock, and so we we were having a hard time, you know, our first couple of years with 
um, you know, just being able to keep it on tap because uh, it would still be cloudy and that, you know, I didn't want it to be cloudy. I wanted to be able to read the newspaper through it was always my standard. Um, and that's what I would do is I would put newspaper behind it and if I could read it, then it was good enough. Um, All right, humble brag, you can read. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not good. You know, but, uh, so uh, finally, uh, when we were in the middle of kind of doing our expansion, we, we bought some of the tanks. It's, uh, it's behind where the camera is right now, so you at home can't see it. But the tanks that are back there, we bought these from the old Backcountry Brewery um, before it transferred over uh, to Highside. Uh, and while we were there, they had a plate and frame filter, and they were like, hey, you guys want this too? And we are like, how much? And I forget the price they said, but it was very fair. And we're like, loaded up on the truck. Uh, and so we started filtering the beer, and then we were able to reduce our, our time that it was taking, you know, our turn time for, for that beer. And I also think that it helped me get over some of my preconceived notions of what filtering is. You know, I think that, you know, when a lot of us were getting into craft beer, there was this notion that filtered beer wasn't as good. I think Bells has the slogan that says, you know, if God had wanted us to filter our beer, he wouldn't have given us livers. Um, uh, and, and, you know, and so I, re I remember like we made two batches back to back and one of them we, you know, just used Biofine and just tried to get it clear that way. The other one we filtered. Um, I did it blindfolded um, and I preferred the filtered one. Uh, and so we're like, okay, we're going to change our process here. Uh, not only is it going to shorten our turn time, but it makes a better product. So, uh, and that's, you know, around the same time that things started kind of, you know, going really, really well for it. Um, you know, we, we've been very, very fortunate to have a lot of great brewers uh, that have worked here, helped me out, uh, been head brewer. Uh, and, you know, 2019, uh, that's when we took the silver for uh, for the Kolsch, and that was very, very exciting. Uh, it was our first uh, major win uh, at any competition. But, I mean, the gold this year for World Beer Cup, uh, not only was it on my birthday, but it was on my 40th birthday. Yeah, so a milestone, a, a milestone birthday. Uh, my wife was with me. Uh, Tyler, uh, our, our lead brewer, was, was in Minneapolis with us. Uh, that, that was a very, very special moment. I mean, how, how often in any walk of life can you say that you do something better than anything else in the world? Uh, and it's a very humbling but also very satisfying, you know, feeling to know something that I've been working on for a decade and, you know, tinkering uh, and, and tweaking uh, has that type of recognition. And, you know, all, all kudos to, to our brew team. I don't put on the boots uh, very often anymore. Um, I'm, you know, what, what we call a desk brewer uh, most of the time. Uh, so kudos to our brew team, and they are doing a fantastic job because, as I mentioned, a lot of it is in those little details of process uh, and how you do it and how you sell it and not just, you know, some recipe that I developed 10 yeah. years ago. Now, just out of curiosity, with, you know, you did Kolsch initially, and it was one of the beers that you've had on since the beginning. Was there something intentional behind doing a Kolsch as opposed to another style of light beer, like a Pils or a Blonde or something along those lines? Because uh, I know the typical answer is, is usually, you know, Pilsners, other types of lagers that are lighter, like Hellas, for example, or something. It's just longer turnaround time, you know, so for production's sake, it's not always the most sensible. Uh, so was it by design that it was it, it's purely a production turnaround thing, or was there something about Kolsch in particular that really suited your brewing style and and what you liked to make? Yeah, great question. Um, part of <laughs> part of what part of what you said is absolutely true. Is that it does have a shorter turn time than what we do for our Hellas, um, not significantly. Uh, uh, we do uh, give Kolsch a little bit extra time more than. Uh, you know, our IPAs or brown ale or stout or anything like that, uh, but not nearly the amount that we'll give to Pilsner or Hellas. But when we were kind of designing the brewery and, um, you know, I, I was listening to this podcast one time and they were talking about Kolsch in Cologne. Uh, and I just thought that that whole experience just sounded like awesome. Uh, and unfortunately, I've still never been to Cologne. I'm trying to get there maybe before the year ends uh, to experience it in person. Um, we'll see if, if that actually happens or not. Uh, but I'm trying to get out there. But I just thought that the whole experience of the little glasses and walking around, getting the hash marks on your coaster, 
And the thing that I think I liked the most about the story was the server's giving you a beer without you having to ask for it. Like, <laughs> to me, it's like, like you could just be like, oh, man, oh, man, I've had maybe a little too many. But you don't put the coaster on your beer, and you're still getting another one, and you're getting charged for it. That's like going to dim sum. <laughs> all, the, all the ladies in the carts just throw stuff on your table um, unless you actually yell at them to stop. <laughs> And uh, I, I saw that it sounded awesome, so I started seeking out. You know, it's it's hard to get, uh, you know, good, um, you know, representation, especially ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Colorado or German examples of of culture that are going to be in good condition here. So I had to kind of seek out. And ten years ago, there was not as much Kolsch available in the United States through craft brewers as there is now. Um, probably, you know, uh, Goose Island summertime was uh, a Kolsch style. Um, I'm, I'm gonna guess maybe Steamworks was was making theirs at at, at that point. Um, uh, Harpoon used to their summer beer used to be a Kolsch as well. Yeah, um, and and yeah, so very hard to. I mean, we're kind of struggling all collectively to name, you know, Kolsch's that were widely available, yeah. you know, ten years ago. So it was hard to do. So we started, you know, homebrewing it, and we're like, yeah, this is what we want to do. This is better than a blonde. You know, you know, kind of the prototypical opening up a brewery. You need to have you need to have a yellow fizzy beer, right? right. Um, and everyone who's you know planning on opening up a brewery, maybe sometimes saying like, oh, I don't need to make a yellow fizzy beer. You need to make a yellow fizzy beer. And if and if you don't, you're eventually going to do one. So might as well start doing it now. So that was our yellow fizzy beer, uh, and. We, we were in love with it. You know, we, you know, wanted to originally do like the Kolsch service. And, uh, you know, my business partners were kind of like, Dave, we don't want like the servers to hate us, you know, of walking around with Kolsch glasses and doing, you know, regular size beers for everything else. Well, you know, I feel like Kolsch service is really starting to take hold here locally. I, I know that they're doing it now at Four Noses, is that correct? Four and Noses the, and uh, Fritz, Fritz Family. Yeah. yeah, Fritz Family Brewers. And uh, so who knows? Maybe it, maybe now's the time for Kolsch. I've, I've actually thought about having like a Kolsch day where we would do it like one day a year or something like that. That'd be cool. uh, uh, it would be really cool. And I mean, I've got a lot of, you know, different ideas for days and i'm try- <laughs> trying to narrow them down to ones that will actually like, be fruitful but uh yeah so we we wanted to get these glasses and so i'm like hey can i get the Kolsch glass in 16 ounce and all of our suppliers are like no like those are only available in germany and i'm like oh that that sucks um <laughs> so you're gonna have to go there and just like bring a big suitcase yeah really yeah 16 ounce Kolsch pay, pay the overage fee for so the you go through yeah. customs <laughs> rattling the glass yeah. through because it's important to me I so, was gonna, sorry, <laughs> so so finally we 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 a couple of years back we met with our som rep uh and i was like oh it'd be great you know when these are finally available in the united states and he's like oh they actually are like as of like last week and i'm like dude like, why don't you, you know, I've been asking about these. Uh, so we got, so the Kolsch glass that we have, uh, unfortunately I don't have one here on me right now, uh, but it's the only glass that we have in the brewery that's dedicated just to one beer. Um, you know, everything else is kind of utilitarian. Um, and so it is something that we did identify, you know, very early on is that this is something that we do very well. This is something that we want to commit to. Um, you know, there's no other beer that even comes close to that, like 98%, you know, uh, you know, being on tap, you know, since we opened type of mark. Um, and so, um, we're very, like I said, it's very humbling experience to have something that, you know, is considered the the best in the world and, you know, very cool accolade. And, uh, yeah. And so if you haven't had uh, an ice cutter Kolsch, 2501 Sheridan Boulevard, Edgewater, right Colorado, now. not right now, Damn. but on Friday, <laughs> You should start lining up now, is what he's telling yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, ever ever since uh, the uh, World Beer Cup, we have been—I forget the uh, exact amount of barrels that we've brewed of it, but like we're brewing Kolsch like every other week, and and a lot of it, and we're still struggling to keep up on it, uh, which is a good problem to have. It's better than not being able to sell beer at all. Well, on that note, we're you know it's the it's the tail end of September. We're about to head into GABF season. What? Do you feel there's any sort of pressure going into this year's competition of uh, having Kolsch, you know, medal again after after you know taking home a gold medal at GA or at uh, CBC, uh, the World Beer Cup? 
Um, what's what's your approach when it comes to preparing for a competition like GABF? So normally, <clears throat> uh, brew team and I will get together, you know, a couple of weeks even before we need to declare what our beers are uh, are going to be and decide what what we want it to be uh, for what our entries are. And it'll normally be a combination of ones that we've been doing consistency uh, consistently uh, that we have practice doing uh, and uh, some pet projects um, you know I want to make sure that members of the brew team are you know represented in what you know what we're submitting um, and that it's not just things that you know I want to you know put in there uh, and but you know everyone always knows Kolsch has an automatic entry um, and that's <laughs> yeah and and everyone gets it uh, but <clears throat> I think for this, you know, we, um, you know, for the for the World Beer Cup entry, we actually did uh, have two batches that we could decide from uh, of which one to uh, to submit, uh, and we thought that it was going to be batch A, uh, and uh, we were planning on it the whole time that you know, hey, this is gonna be it, this is gonna be it, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, we we're like, no, it's batch B. Um, and so we switched it up and that one was a little younger. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I think, I think we filtered it the day before we bottled it, um, uh, which was a little bit more of a rush than we wanted it to be. But I think that's one of the things that we learned, especially for Kolsch, you know, having something where you are going to be able to notice those subtle differences uh, and very small changes that you do in the process to have options. Um, and so we did the same thing for... Uh, for GABF, uh, we had two two batches to, to choose from, and uh, th this time we actually did go with the one that we thought that we'd be doing from from the start. Um, so um, we're you know we got a lot of other things in there too, and um, do I feel uh, pressure at this point? I mean, I, I was a home brewer ten ten years ago. You know, I was still a home brewer eight and a half years ago. Uh, and now I got a GABF medal and a World Beer Cup medal. I've I think I've accomplished <laughs> uh, en enough at this point. And so uh, if if we don't win anything at GABF, I'm just gonna be clapping and cheering for all of our Colorado brewers and friends. I'm sure Cannonball's gonna win another one, so I'll be high fiving them and another one or another five. Yeah, uh. exactly. <laughs> so uh, I'm just gonna be cheering for for all those guys. And if we don't get it this year, we'll just get it next year. So uh, for all of our diehard Joyride fans, uh, this at this year's competition, you said that essentially you all selected batch A. Yeah, uh, that we yeah we had two different batches of Kolsch that uh, were available to us, and I'm just calling them so batch I'm, A, I'm batch just, B. I'm just trying to get people prepared so they can get their <laughs> batch A signs held up <laughs> when uh, they announce the the Kolsch results. I want yeah. I want batch A signs ba everywhere. <laughs> batch A. Just out of curiosity, so two questions really. So yeah. does the does getting the medal really improve sales enough? Almost like having a, a Guy Fieri stamp on the wall, <laughs> like with diners, drive-ins, and dives, like all of a sudden ramps up business. Um, I mean, it it hasn't been uh, like super duper crazy. Like we you know we d it's not like we've got lines out the door when we open or anything like that. Uh, but it really has solidified, you know, Kolsch has pretty much been our best seller since day one, too, uh, which in an our, our IPA crazy world is pretty unique. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, most of the time, uh, Kolsch will outsell uh, our number two and number three brand uh, combined. Um, and on certain days, two, three, and four combined. Yeah, so to be um, able to have that be a non-IPA, especially non-hazy IPA style, is really impressive. Yeah, and uh, obviously our rooftop deck sitting in the sun, you know, helps that out a little bit. You know, one of the things that we really focused ourselves on starting in 19 when the rooftop opened was to be more um, uh, selective and intentional about the beers that we're going to make, that we're going to match, you know, the area that we we're in. Uh, I think I, I was at some seminar at CBC and they said identify what you do well and you know focus your energy towards that and one of the things that we do really really well is our location uh, and so I think that when you're sitting up on our rooftop deck you're not always looking for that 15 percent barrel aged vanilla stout you know we're going to make those beers too but that's not what we're going to lead with I think you're looking for a Coles you're looking for a Pilsner work your way up to a pale ale and you know maybe finish off with an IPA because that's what everyone does right uh is you're gonna have an IPA at some point 
And so I think focusing on what we call patio beers and IPAs uh, really fits uh, our business model, our location, uh, and certainly helps, you know, having the best culture in the world. Yeah. So having the best Kolsch in the world and you having not yet been to Cologne, how do you think you would be received as an American walking into Cologne and being like, hey, listen, whatever you guys do here is cute. Uh, but Wearing the gold medal. Yeah. Uh, I also want you rocking a shirt, number one Kolsch in the world, <laughs> with middle fingers up to the, to like the, the outline of the, the country of Germany. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, it's not going to be a the warmest of receptions. Uh, but until they taste your cold. Until yes, until they taste. It. So I'll just have to make sure to do a canning run, you know, mm-hmm. before we go over. Uh, I, I remember uh, the first time I went over to Belgium, uh, and uh, I actually got to I forget his name, but I, I met the the brewmaster at Duval. Uh, and I had uh, bottled off a couple bottles of our double IPA. And, you know, we were very proud of this double IPA. And I shared a bottle with him, and he was just like, it's very good, but too bitter, you know. And so I'm sure the Germans will find some type of, you know, thing about it where it's either one person will say it's too bitter, one person will say it's not bitter enough, you know, one person will say it's too clear. Um, Maybe they'll say, you know, it wasn't lagered long enough. You know, I think that, you know, that's yeah. probably what it's going to be. They'll, they'll just be like, oh, how long did you lager this? Oh, that's not long enough. Yeah, If I would have said three months, they probably would have said not long enough, too. Find ways to nitpick it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure it would be different from the brewer or the consumer standpoint because I, I remember being in Belgium and we were at um, – uh, what's the uh, Lambermotic, which is like the you know like the, the very the beer chain, uh, sorry beer bar chain that they have there, and every we were very excited to have all of like the Kention and the Orville and Dreyfusenane and all that stuff, right? And they found out we were from America, and they were like, "Oh, you have to have this American IPA that a local brewer made." And they were s- <laughs> everybody was stoked on it, and it was terrible. <laughs> it was one of the worst things I've ever tasted in my entire life. So I think enthusiasm changes based on who you're talking to. If it's the person drinking the beer, or if it's the one that's actually making it, I think the brewers are probably a little more critical. Sure. And, you know, like I said, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'd like to think that I'm not going to go in with middle fingers blazing and, you know, being like, what's Why up? not? Yeah. I, fe- I, I, I smell a sequel to Beer Fest coming on. <laughs> He's not that drunk. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, it would be, it'd be interesting. Uh, but if I do get my tickets, I'm definitely going to do a canning run and, yeah. you know, bring some around. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, there's always things to learn from everybody. Um, and you know their processes of where they're going to be is going to be way different than than what we're. Uh, and you know I'd like to keep being referred to as the best culture in the world. And so if I can learn anything from anybody, you know I'm happy to do that. Now I, I know in addition to being a co-founder of uh, Joyride, you you're also serving as board on the board of directors for the Colorado Brewers Guild. Uh, Michael, I know on tap is avid supporters of the Colorado Brewers Guild. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about kind of what it's been like in that role and how you've seen the Colorado craft beer scene evolve over the, the last couple of years. I feel like, um, you know, it's really there, there's been a lot of evolution, obviously, due to the pandemic. But I feel like the, the craft beer scene here has, has gotten stronger. Yeah, absolutely. The um, uh, the guild actually has the most amount of members that it's ever had in its history right now, uh, which is uh, really, really cool. And we're gaining more all the time. Uh, and so um, if anyone out there is listening and not a, a member of the Colorado Brewers Guild, feel free to reach out to me or, or Shawnee or anyone else, and we can talk to you about the benefits. Um, but uh, this is my fifth year on the board for, for the guild, you know, good, you know, half decade here, uh, which, which is pretty pretty crazy that it's been that long uh but you know just uh, society in general has changed so much but you know with covid and and the pandemic and you know having to cut down um but you know i remember in 2020 just how much of an essential resource the guild was to all of us brewers uh, of you know because what we were allowed to do and not allowed to do wasn't just changing by the day it was changing by the hour sometimes um, and so just being able to have that clear, consistent voice of, you know, letting us know like, hey, you have to do this now before you do that, you know, uh, was uh, was was very, very essential. Uh, and our executive director, Shawnee Adelson, was a rock star uh, through 2020 and continues to be so. Uh, and we're fortunate enough now being uh, past, you know, the height of pandemic. You know, I know a lot of people 
like to still say like oh yeah you know like before covid it's like well we're still kind of in it you know uh but uh we're very very fortunate to be adding on two new uh or two newer staff members since then of emma ramey and michelle baldwin uh who have also been rock stars for us so um you know our mission is to promote protect and propel colorado independent colorado breweries and you know there are bills that are introduced every single year uh, that you never hear about that we are able to kill uh, because they are going to be detrimental to the Colorado craft beer industry. Uh, we contribute so much money to the local economies uh, that we operate. We create jobs. We create tourism. Um, and so we want to make sure that our brewers, uh, not just myself, uh, but everyone around the state, has that opportunity to continue to operate in the best way that they can uh, and to be able to operate at full steam. Uh, and the Guild does that so well and promotes tap rooms, want people to go out and visit. Um, and so one of the reasons why you know I've been on the board as long as I've, I've been um, and, you know, why I want to make a donation through this Fresh Hop Fest uh, so we can continue that mission um, because there's a lot of work to do. Uh, I mean, people forget there are actually prohibitionists out there, you know, and prohibition. actually Losers. <laughs> <laughs> and and we also forget that prohibition wasn't that long ago. Yeah, um, it, it is crazy. And so, you you know, you have to make sure you got you got to protect your house. Right. Sure. And um, and the guild does a great job of, you know, because I don't I don't have time to go to the Capitol, yeah. you know, and testify on all these crazy bills. Totally. Um, but collectively, we all pitch in a little bit and we make sure uh, that we're represented uh, because we like to say if you're not at the table, you're what's for lunch. Yeah. Uh, so make sure that you have representation. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank you guys for joining us once again on the show. Um, once again, you know. Without uh, the support of folks like ONTAP Credit Union, not only would porch drinking not be possible, but also the Colorado Brewers Guild would not be possible. So a big thank you to Michael for joining us. Uh, as a reminder, ONTAP, ONTAP Credit Union isn't your average financial partner. They make banking as easy as enjoying your favorite beverage while providing great financial advice in a friendly and welcoming environment. With ONTAP, Colorado comes first, which is why they offer low loan rates for cars, homes, credit cards, and more. And with ONTAP's mobile app, you can have instant access to your accounts, whether you're meeting friends at a local brewery, out on the slopes, or wherever your next adventure takes you. Member-owned, Colorado Proud, federally, federally insured through NCUA. Once again, visit them at ONTAPCU.org. Uh, a big thank you, uh, Dave. Thanks for joining us. And Michael, thanks again. I uh, really appreciate you. you guys uh, joining us for this episode of the PorchCast. Uh, be sure to stop by. Uh, Joyride Brewing this weekend, Saturday, September 24th, for Fresh Hop Fest featuring uh, 13 incredible breweries and all of their fresh hop beers. Um, this has been episode 97 of the Porchcast. We'll catch you next time from the Porch Drinking 10th Anniversary Beer Festival, where we'll be broadcasting live. Uh, until then, we'll check it out. Thank you.